Hey, welcome to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On The Wing podcast coming from quarantine. Yep, we're still in quarantine and we're having a hell of a fun time. Best part of my week, recording podcasts in quarantine because I get to uh, touch base with some friendly faces and uh, we got two friendly faces lined up for you. Um, he may have the... the punch card with the most holes in it at this point in the on the wing podcast tim corin our field director for quail forever joining me uh on this particular episode what this has gotta be number four right yeah Fourth you know I expect, I expect to have the most punches on that card <laughs> well it I think you've been on four podcasts, but we've probably made fun of you on like fourteen others. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking to I'm looking to retaliate on this one. <laughs> so uh, we got Tim on here, our go-to quail quail forever guy. So you know this is going to be a Bob White quail heavy conversation. In fact, it's going to be Bob White quail in South Carolina. And uh, as I introduce our featured guest, let me let me read a quote from him when the South Carolina Department of Natural Resources announced Michael Hook as the quail coordinator and small program leader. And I quote, every morning when I come into my office and I see the big quail poster on my door, I think to myself, this is my job. This is what I get to do today. And I just have to smile to be able to go get back into the wildlife field is exciting in and of itself. But to get to work with quail, a passion of mine in the field is really icing on the cake. It just doesn't get any better than making a career out of something you love. Ladies and gentlemen, on the wing podcast listeners a good friend of pheasants forever and quail forever and a uh, a virtual buddy of mine we'll explain <laughs> that in a little bit michael hook south carolina department of natural resources quail coordinator michael thank you for joining on the wing podcast thank you for having me bob i don't think i've ever had an introduction quite like that though but i, I appreciate it <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there is no smoking at the Mamma Dome. No smoking. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> um, you know, so so I first thing, I mean, I, I've known you for a little while, but um, I didn't really know your backstory. And, and that quote pops up the first thing you, when you Google Michael Hook, which I can't say you're the same for everybody. <laughs> I was gonna say that's that's probably you not a bad to. thing. I, I yeah, can't, I'm okay no, with a, this. That's good to know. That's that's a good thing because you know when you Google Tim Corrin, well, we won't go there. Yeah, nice. <laughs> yeah. There's a place in Peoria, Illinois that shows up. <laughs> uh, you didn't think a big Al's reference would come yeah, no, up in this? Comment. Yeah, no comment there, Bob. No comment. <laughs> Um, so it's clear, Michael, that um, that you love Bob White quail. I do, I do. Uh, so 
I want. And let me let me say that, want, that quote was was when I was fresh in this job before I <laughs> I had been locked in this windowless office for years <laughs> writing grant paperwork. That's when I was still going in the field. So. Well, I like I like the idealistic view that that quote paints yeah. of you. I so I want every now and I then I get, get to go out there, so it, it makes it all worthwhile. I, I, and I it so my second question for you is going to be about your love of quail, but. Why don't, why don't we start with an introduction of who you are, uh, you know, where you grew up, uh, you know, what, what you, your schooling is, what you do for a living as an introduction to our listeners. And then we'll get into, uh, you can tug at the heartstrings, but uh, <laughs> introduce, introduce yourself first. Well, I am Michael Hook. I've, I've been working with the DNR for for 20 years. Um, I started as a technician down in Aiken, uh, working at the Cracker Neck WMA. Um, we, it, it's 10,000 acres. We manage for a wide variety of, of wildlife, um, ran public hunts, did habitat management, all that good stuff. Um, I moved around trying to move up the ladder, eventually came to the Columbia office, worked, I don't know, five years now in this position. Um, but like I said, growing up, I'm originally from Lexington, South Carolina, which is sort of right outside of Columbia, born and raised there, went off to Clemson, got my undergrad. Um, I immediately got a position with the DNR right after school. And, and we were in the middle of a, a, a tough budget system at that time. Um, and I'd said I either I would get a job and get my foot in the door or just go back to grad school. Um, so it turned out I got a job um, and then I started looking for grad school after that. So I got my master's from the University of South Carolina. And like I say, that's been that. So. So are you conflicted? Having Not a degree at all. From Clemson Not at all. No, no. You're an Alabama fan? Not exactly. <laughs> no, my, my blood runs orange. Um, <laughs> okay. I was, I was very proud to get that diploma from Carolina, but I don't know that I stood up for the alma mater or anything like that. I, I, I just politely refrained and, and enjoyed getting my diploma. And that was, that was good enough. <laughs> so, you know, I, um, I've always wondered, you know, I, I grew up in, in Michigan, upper peninsula, Michigan, and there's this rivalry that we have the youpers versus the trolls, right? People <laughs> who live below the bridge, right? And then you move to Minnesota and there's this rivalry, uh, Iowa, Minnesota, and most pronounced, you know, when you talk about football, you know, it's Packers, Vikings, you know, this rivalry with Wisconsin. I've always wondered about that North Carolina, South Carolina. What's it, 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 do you guys make jokes about each other or is there a little bit more yeah. uh, Carolina love? Well, yeah, probably a little bit more Carolina love. It's not, it's not a, there's not a vitriol there. I mean, the big, the big in-state rival between Carolina, the university of South Carolina and, and Clemson is the big, big thing in South Carolina. Um, you know, we may reference University of North Carolina as, as the wine and cheese crowd, but you know that's it. That's about <laughs> as far as it goes. Okay. Um, so you'd be the beer and brats crowd in South Carolina. Yeah, beer and barbecue probably, but yeah. Because I have the opposite perspective. Like I think South Carolina. I think Charleston. And that's <laughs> to me that's Man. wine and cheese all the way. That's pretty highbrow. It is, yeah. but. I don't know. You still got that low country flair. They're, they're hunting, they're fishing. It's, mm. 
it's it's not quite Chapel Hill. Just when you go to a tailgate, <laughs> you you break out your <laughs> wine and I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but then you know, in South Carolina, we always we're always thankful for Mississippi because um, we're usually down there at the bottom racing for the bottom you know when it comes to education or or what have you it, it we're usually at the bottom of the list for that so i i would say that mississippi is the state that we compete against um just as a general socioeconomic platform sure. so it's it's us in mississippi huh. all right so that's uh, we'll, we'll wind back to that first question based around your um your quote you clearly love quail. I do. Love quail. I do. Tell us where that started and, and um, some of the reasons. Well, in South Carolina, if you grew up, you, you, you've you heard quail. Um, you, you just readily identify the summertime with birds whistling. Um, you know, it's just, just part of life. Um, you know, especially when I was growing up, it was, it was a little bit more prevalent than it is now. I don't know that kids growing up nowadays, you know, have that same, same thought pattern, but, but, you know, growing up, that was, that was just something you heard in the summer. You saw lightning bur- bugs, you heard quail, you know, that was it. Um, my grand, my granddad was a big quail hunter. Um, you know, he, he grew up poor in Saluda County when, when, you know, when he was growing up, it was, it was hunting for food. Um, but later he got into to bird hunting and, you know, he was, he always had setters around the house. You know, when I was, when I was little, you know, we were messing around he had setters. Um, so, you know, it was fun. We, we go out hunting with granddaddy. You were, you were either rabbit hunting or you were bird hunting. Um, that was just, that was it. Um, and then, you know, when it comes from a, a work perspective, I, there's not a, a, a tougher nut to crack than quail. I mean, you know, it, it's a, it's a big puzzle and it's, you know, I, I enjoy a challenge. So it's, it's sort of fun to, to work on that, you know? So. You, t- you talked about hunting for food. I've always wondered what the right number of quail <laughs> equates to for a per person meal. Cause you know, I've seen people put down a half a dozen and Easily. then I've seen people like struggle to, to finish one easily yeah so what's the southern like when you're planning a meal for the family how many quail do you get out of the freezer for my house it's usually about two per person but but we put on a quail seminar every year and and generally we'll have uh, you know we'll grill quail for everybody and boy some of those guys they can put down some quail because they don't have it often and and when they see it there they flat wear it out so yeah that's the truth that's that's what i was gonna say too you know if i'm cooking a meal at home i'll get two birds a person out but if i'm having guests over you know there's always it's like three or four for somebody you invite because you know they don't get to have it exactly as often as one of us do and they're gonna take advantage of the table fare that's it i mean yep Absolutely. And what's what's the South Carolina go-to prepar- preparation for uh, a pair of bob white quail? Either grilled or fried. Um, uh, it's it's fifty fifty. You know, fried quail and grits, or either just salt and pepper and on the grill. Yeah. So that's fun. What about you, Tim? <laughs> yeah, I, was, I mean that's the, that's the same deal. You know, grilled or fried. What I, one thing I will do is I will 
I'll look at the birds I have from each hunting trip. And if I have some, that are pretty shot up. I'll package those separate and then I'll take all those and I'll put them in the slow cooker at the end of the season or whenever it's at the end of the birds in the freezer and I'll debone those. So I make sure I get all the shot out yeah, and I'll uh-huh. make a, I'll make a pot pie out of them huh. or I'll make tacos or I'll make tacos with them. And it's, it's funny because it's like, it, some people would view those birds as the worst, like the soup birds, you know, but I get pretty excited about <laughs> making that pot pie, to be honest with you. That sounds fam- pretty good. <laughs> my family does too. So it's, I don't know. None of it goes to waste, you know. Yeah, but, right on. But if you got good birds, you know, or you're having people over grilled or fried, it's probably a 50-50 tie, you know. Yeah, and that's that's just what folks think about down here. I mean, yeah, it, it's hard to beat that for a breakfast a lot of, for a lot of folks. Oh, yeah. so, for breakfast? Yeah, that's a, like I say. Grits, gravy, yeah. quail. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Okay. Oh, what yeah. about for holidays? Thanksgiving, Christmas, are you serving quail or is it, no, you know, it's a traditional turkey. Yeah, no, usually it's turkey, um, occasionally venison, um, but. Okay. Yeah. So in the introduction, um, I teased that I knew you virtually before I actually met you in person, which I I met you in person, I want to say about a year and a half ago now, Tim and I were at, uh, the Southeastern Wildlife Expo, and I think we met for the first time at the um, the booth you were volunteering. That's right. And in uh, yeah. the um, um, South Carolina Bob White <laughs> Initiative booth. But when we finally met, I put a face to a um, kind of a social media <laughs> image. And you've been listening to K-Fan in the Twin Cities for years. I have. As a guy that lives in <laughs> South Carolina, what the heck are you doing listening to an outdoors hunting and fishing show in Minnesota? A lot of times in the middle of winter, listening to ice fishing talk. Well, I, I, I know y'all can relate. If you spend any time in a truck or at a check station or something for hours on the end, you get pretty tired of just the regular radio. So you switch over to sport talk or, or, you know, politics or whatever. After a while you get tired of that somehow Googling around, I found the link to an outdoors show. And I mean, you sit at a check station, you got to do something, you start listening. And then, and in y'all's case, it was such a different world from what I was used to. It's just fascinating. <laughs> Y'all make fun of our, you make oh, fun yeah. of our accents. Don't you? <laughs> a little you bit, better. a little bit. <laughs> I did, I did the same thing. Like I drive a lot, obviously when, when we're not in quarantine, right? And, uh, travel the country and it like, even if you're on the airplane, like I just, if you listen to the radio enough, you're eventually after four or five days, you're going to hear all the same songs 10 yep. times over. And it's like, and I'll start looking for odd stuff. And there's like, I'll dial up the, like I have a cabin up in the upper peninsula and I'll dial up the local radio station up there and listen to their swapping shot. Just so I can laugh. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's no chance in hell I'm going to be able to buy anything off of it. I just want to hear about it and, and just, just, just relate to something completely different than what I'm doing or used to. Yep. I agree. I agree. I mean, <laughs> have you been ice fishing yet? Mike? No, that's what I was going to say. I, I'd love oh. to have a chance to, to, to try the hard water one time. <laughs> oh. <laughs> have you ever, you've never been in a vehicle on the lake, huh? No, I have not. I have <laughs> <No>. not. <laughs> no. Are you, are you comfortable with that concept? Yeah, I think so. I think I might <laughs> make that work. 
<laughs> yeah. Oh, <it'd> be fun. <laughs> well, you know, when I think about Siwi Southeastern Wildlife Expo, you know, one of the things that jumps out is I knew. So this, for folks that don't know what Siwi is, it takes place every February. Um, in Charleston, and it's a community-wide event. There, there's art, there's a dog component. If you've ever been to, to game fair in, in outside the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, St. Paul, uh, there's a component that's really similar to game fair. There's kind of a open market sort of, um, oh, I guess, uh, uh, farmer's market sort of community square sort of component. And, yep. Um, there's all sorts of quail forever has a, a banquet ducks unlimited south carolina waterfall there's all ton a bunch of um conservation organizations plug into it and have an event and it's just a wonderful community-wide um special event but and i knew this fact when i went there i knew that south carolina was one of about 12 states in the country that has a state dock Yes. And the South Carolina state dog is like legitimately, I'm not teasing. Oh, yeah. It's for real. Uh, like Wisconsin has the American Water Spaniel. I think Maryland is the Chesapeake Bay Retriever. There's about 12 states that legitimately have a state dog. In South Carolina, state dog is the Boykin Spaniel. And I've hunted with Boykin Spaniels. Uh, one of Tim and I's uh, co workers, Joe Dugan. Yeah. Has always, maybe not always. He's had a couple of Boykins, and you you see them occasionally in pheasant country. <laughs> but <clears throat> I went to South Carolina, Charleston, and there were more Boykins than there were people. If you if you if you were from that area, or you were walking down the sidewalk, and you didn't have a Boykin spaniel and a barber jacket, you were nobody. That's right. That's I mean, right. The barber jacket. Yeah. Really? It was, it was 78 degrees outside. I know. And they're wearing them like it's snowing. Well, to be I fair, mean, that is cold for us. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> if, so if you, do you know, if, what's the history with, with Boykins in South Carolina? Because I know you own a Boykin. I, mean, I do. Like, I do. It, you, get, you get your driver's license and you get a Boykin. Yeah, they, they, they <laughs> give it to you. They, I mean, exactly. <laughs> no, I mean, they were they were developed here outside of columbia in a little town called camden um you know it's they they were bred to to hunt the watery swamp um they were looking for a small dog the american water spaniel was one of the the parent dogs and um okay. i want to say the first the first um the boykin that they sort of modeled him after was named dumpy um <laughs> So <laughs> I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> but but yeah, so I mean because dopey and sniffly were already chicken. No, 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 you, know, you know, you look look at a boykin. I mean, I I hold them near they're and near to my heart. They are, but they're not sleek. They're not. They're just they're just dumpy. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, I mean that that's they were they've got the dock tail. Cause originally they were bred for turkey hunting. Um, you'd scatter the turkeys, bring the dog back. You didn't want a, a, a tail wagging constantly. And they do, but Boykin's tail is going 90 miles an hour all the time. Um, yeah. but yeah, I, mostly a, a retriever. Um, they are a flushing dog. Uh, you're seeing them more and more in the, the upland world. So 
Well, that was going to be my question. I mean, <clears throat> from an Uplands perspective, you know, quail is king in South Carolina. Yeah. And yet boykin is king in South Carolina from a bird dog perspective. They're, they're somewhat incongruent. However, yeah. I know that there, right, there's this emerging, emerging is the wrong word, but I know there's, there's this magical combo of having a pointer <laughs> You know, English pointer, a setter, a short hair, goes on point, and you release yeah. the spaniel, whether it's a cocker or a boykin, to flush the bird. Has that always been a traditional combo in South Carolina? No, not at all. Um, I was going to say, I, I probably see more upland boykins outside of the state than I do in South Carolina. Um, really? Yeah, I, you just, I mean, <laughs> it, it's all pointers and uh, setters. I mean, whether and, and like I say, it's you still see a bunch of English pointers in South Carolina. I mean, that's that's the traditional dog. Um, you know, it, the last couple of years you've seen a bunch of short hairs. Um, you very rarely, until till recently, saw the 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 spaniels. Um, and you're seeing, like I say, more cockers than boykins. But you see you see a few boykins these days. But so is the primary purpose of behind the boykins that are in south carolina for waterfall yeah anymore it's it's doves and waterfowl um september 1st is boykin day in south carolina coincides <laughs> with dove season dove season so, oh that's nice yeah i mean legitimately yeah holiday no oh, yeah well i mean what, <laughs> I, it's not a holiday but it's the state mandated day for yeah. the dog so yeah so are there like uh you know instagram feed just filled with uh cupcakes with a candle on it for boykin oh food? yeah yeah you'll see every yeah. every year you'll see the photo of the boykin with the the governor and all that good stuff so yeah huh. but that's awesome yeah yeah it's wild and it, now you have a boykin but you also added a a short hair i did i did um, came to the dark side uh, <laughs> yes yeah so what's the uh, tell us the thought process about how you got a boykin? did you grow up with boykins and then why why you added a pointer no so like i said we grew up with labs and and setters you know the labs were the retrieving dogs for the duck hunting and all that good stuff and then the setters were obviously the upland dogs um i i married my wife we moved into a house she had it was a little tiny yard um a little, little tiny house she had never owned a dog and i'm thinking do i really want to bring a big just wide open dog into this situation and so I started looking at the Boykins and I was, I was saying, you know, you, and you hear some horror stories. They, they're pretty high energy themselves and a little bit spastic. You, but I, I, I bit the bullet and, and found the guy on the internet and I said, well, we're going to give this a shot. And, um, we went and picked her up and boy, it was, it, I won't be without a Boykin now. Um, like I say, they just fit my style of duck hunting. Um, whether it's, it's little beaver swamps or, you know, the, the little boat that I've got, you know, a 35 pound dog, I can just swing over the side and, you know, we're good to go. And, you know, she, she rides in the front of the truck. I, you know, she's, she's been great. So like I say, I, and great personality. I mean, just, just there to please and I, easy to train. I, I've been thoroughly impressed with a, a Boykin. So, but but, but yet I, you added a short hair. Well, I, I needed I needed a real 
pointing dog and molly's getting yeah. old she's she's 12 years old she's slowed down a, a lot in the last couple of years and and like i said she was never meant to be an upland dog she she just sort of fell into it um mm. she started letting me know that there was woodcock going back and forth to some of our duck spots and and so i said well if you're gonna do this we're gonna we're gonna actually hunt woodcock and and then after a while i saw you know we if she was if we're doing this why not quail so and then then like say over time kids and all got in the way and the, i found out that I, she was my only dog for a while and so we started looking for another puppy and and i look at Brittany's, and um i would have loved to have had a setter or you know i don't know i, I don't know that i would have had a, a english pointer but um a buddy of mine knew of a litter and i said I'll give it a shot. Like say the guy that works with me, Brett Carmichael, he's got a short here. I enjoyed hunting behind her. So I said, we'll, we'll see what this is about. So sell, well, sell me on the short hair. What am I going to get with this short hair? Cause I, I'm, I'm four or five months in with this dog. Oh, really? Yeah. So are you, uh, is the dog running uh, off leash every single day? Oh yeah. 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 And yeah. you'll be fine. Yeah. You know, I, um, that's the key with uh, any of your big running um, pointing breeds, in my opinion, is they need two miles off leash, rain, snow, yeah. sunshine. They just need to burn off that energy. You can burn off that energy. You'll be fine. You know, doesn't it? And it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, <him too. laughs> quarantine uh, has been hard on my pointer. I can imagine. <sighs> so let, let's talk about um, quail in South Carolina. Let's get to the meat and potatoes uh, of our conversation today. And, you know, going into this episode, you know, there's an awful lot of folks listening, you know, from across the country um, that probably don't know a whole heck of a lot about quail, particularly in South Carolina. So let's give them a little bit of the history of, you know, where the population once was to where it is today. And then we'll move into what what your job is and how um, um, what you're trying to accomplish. So so. Let's dial that to an historical perspective of quail, bobwhite quail in South Carolina. Much like the rest of the Southeast, the quail were the bird, you know, back in the day. Um, much higher populations across the entire state. Um, you know, we've, we've in South Carolina, we've we've got the, the low country, the Piedmont and then the the uh, mountains. And like I said, we had quail each one of those areas, um, much higher populations than than what we've got now and um like I say that's that was if you were bird hunting that's what you were hunting was was quail um we do have or did have a um pretty strong population of uh of grouse hunters in the mountains um they they sort of died off late 70s even into the 90s there were still a few around um but but like I say outside of that it was all quail um and grouse hunters just for clarity, we're talking about rough grouse. Rough grouse in South Carolina. Yep, rough grouse, um, which they called them partridges. And you know, as just what the local vernacular. But right. Um, but yeah, they. You know, we had we've got a sliver of habitat in South Carolina that's suitable. <laughs> um, 
you know, decades ago, there was a great deal of, of timber industry up there. Um, the Singer Sewing Machine Company owned a bunch of land up there and, and they cut a bunch of trees. So it was, it was good grouse habitat. Um, hmm. And like I say, I, we had we had a pretty healthy grouse population up into the 70s and then it it had died off into the 90s um they were still still hanging on and we still had a pretty vocal hunter group up there um they were still involved and and they were they were often rattling cages and asking what could be done and all that good stuff so um but we still got a few but they're they're few and far between okay but Uh, quail what what was um do you know like the all-time high in terms of harvest or, or give us a kind of a benchmark <laughs> of the good old days everybody you know just sort of pictures the 40s the 50s the 60s that was sort of the high um you know by the 80s it had started going down um you know i started really quail hunting in the 90s and you know i didn't know that that was going to be the heyday for me but yeah. you know i've got an article on my desk from 1900 they're lamenting the, the the demise of quail then and i'm going you know what 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 could have been like where you're complaining at that point 1900 <clears throat> yeah. yeah yeah so you know and, and back then we weren't doing any kind of uh, of any kind of um survey for the for the birds so it, you know it's just a guess as to when the the peak of quail was in south carolina um you know there, there's a bunch of different ideas but you know i I, we know what it was in the 80s we know what it was in the 90s and like I say it's it's dropped persis- precipitously since then mm. um you know we lose about four or five percent a year mm. of our birds so when you're a kid uh kind of cutting your teeth in the 90s on quail how many flushes a day were you uh um hoping to to kick up i you know we didn't have the greatest places to go um but, you know, we were finding four or five, six coveys a day, um, you know, and and we weren't hunting quail plantations or anything like that. We were just advantageously taking advantage of quail that were on the landscape. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, in the 90s, we had a bunch of timber hitting the ground. And, and when when you'd have those clear cuts the first couple of years, it was it was pretty dang good quail hunting. And that's that's what we were hunting. Um around my granddad's home we were hunting old abandoned farmland so you know that's 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 sort of where we were making our bread and butter um when you talked earlier about uh well two questions singers singer sewing machines why were they cutting down forest what, the, what, how's that factor in the, back in the day they were making the cases out of wood you know if you picture one of those old old oh. sewing machines Okay. Yeah. I mean, this was, this was back in the day, back in the day. Right, right, right. It wasn't. Yeah. I was thinking like, how does, how does that connect the dots to a sewing machine and timber harvest? But Mm. okay. So packaging then was there, or is there habitat that overlaps between rough grouse and bobwhite quail where you could actually do a, Oh, you're going to just, I see you shaking your head. I, can you go do a mixed bag quail grouse hunt in South Carolina? You can. I don't know how successful you're going to be. That's no that's, kidding. That's one of my goals. I would love to do it in a day. Um, the grouse is going to be the, the tough thing. Uh, uh-huh. But yeah, I mean, we certainly got, well, we've got grouse, woodcock, and 
quail all right in the same area. Um, where else can uh, you do that, Tim? Any uh, idea where else you can do that? The only place I've ever seen that um, was when I was a habitat specialist in Wisconsin. There was a I had a good friend that had a, a, a nice chunk of ground up, believe it or not, in Baraboo, Wisconsin. And he had a trout stream that ran through the place. So there'd always be this uh, early successional habitat edge to it because of the mm -hmm. high and low water. And we flushed a covey of quail there one time. And I remember just like, I mean, <laughs> it was so amazing because he had rough grouse there and he had some pheasants. Mm -hmm. I mean, not very many, but he had, he just had a little bit of everything. Like one covey of quail, you'd hear a grouse drum once in a while and you'd yeah. flush a couple of pheasants when you did prescribed burn. I was like, man, we could kill. A pheasant, a rough grouse, <laughs> and a quail on the same piece of property. But at the same time, like we didn't want to, yeah. we just didn't want to hurt the quail because yeah. it was the farthest north we'd ever seen one. And it was like, I man, I'm not, I'm not shooting those. <laughs> I bet you, Northeast Iowa, there's a like a small percentage chance of the same thing, right? Like quail, yeah. rough grouse in the um, kind of in that river, Iowa River area. Mm -hmm. um, um, Pheasant, right? I bet you they're potentially over there. I could see it, yeah. yeah. Huh. yeah that's, a, that's always kind of the game, you know, is the, the slam, you know. It's like everything there is to offer in one place when you're – I mean, because yeah. we're not – we're at a point now where we're not – at least, I'm, you know, as a quail hunter, I'm not trying to kill a limit. You know? Right. I mean, it's the last thing in my mind. But I do like to go to somewhere like Kansas with the opportunity to potentially shoot a – a quail, a pheasant, and a prairie chicken in the same mm -hmm. day. You know, it's like that stuff's pretty cool to me just to yeah. have the opportunity. Yeah. But, uh, All right. So back to quail in South Carolina today. <clears throat> What's what? How many how many cubbies can you legitimately expect to flush? Um, and it, what's the difference on public land versus private land in your state? Um, you know, in 2019, the season that kind of just ended or maybe the the high point of the last couple of years. There's there's going to be a drastic difference between public and private. Um, okay. You know, we've got some really fantastic private uh, properties that that are really pumping out the quail. Um, like I say, it's 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 some of the best quail hunting you can you can imagine um, the public lands you know, not so much. Um, we've got a draw hunt here in South Carolina. We're averaging about a bird per acre on our best managed piece. And, you know, that's pretty good. Pretty mm -hmm. good. Um, we're trying to bump that up now. We've really ramped up our, our efforts. Um, you know, I, it, it can make for some good, good sporty hunting, especially uh, the key to that area is having dog power. Um, the folks that are doing well have got dog power. Um, and that's really what it takes across the state. I, you know, you, you've got to cover some ground. You, you've got to, you, you've got to rotate your dogs. So like I say, that's, that's mm. the, that's the key to, to public land in South Carolina is, is dog power. So I'm assuming the difference between, you know, the, the forties to the sixties to the eighties, the nineties and today is, is loss of habitat. Right? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So talk about, you know, what's, when you folks think about the maybe Georgia, Northern Florida, you know, that pie, that Southern piney woods, right. is that, is that a very similar 
type of habitat to South Carolina, or are there some distinct differences? No, it's 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 pretty similar. Um, you know, I I could drop you off in a plantation down in in the Albany area and drop you off one outside of Charleston, and I don't know that you'd know the difference really, just looking at the habitat. Um, and, you know, there's some some little tiny differences in whatever the plant composition may be, but I mean, they, they look pretty similar. Um, yeah. you know, and, and like I say, you can go up into the Piedmont and the, the mountainous areas of, of Georgia. And I mean, you can close your eyes and think, gosh, I'm in South Carolina, but, mm. um, you know, I, they're, they're pretty similar. And, and I mean, you look at some of the stuff that's going on in Georgia, it's, they they're saying that's some of the best quail hunting they've had in, in decades. Um, you know, it, but it's it, the key to it is everybody's pulling together. They're doing the same thing. They're, they're creating that habitat at a landscape level. And that's, you know, that's what South Carolina needs. Our, our, our habitat's just sort of, uh, it's just too spread out right now. Um, like I said, we've got some fantastic properties, uh, private properties. They're just, they're separated from each other. They're separated from the public land. So, you got to create that connectivity. And then once we start doing that, that's when we'll really start making hay with the birds. Enter rock star biologist, Michael Hook. So, <laughs> I don't know about that. Absolutely. So tell us, <laughs> tell us what you do on a daily basis for quail to start generating that momentum to create better habitat and improve those bird numbers. Tell us about your job. Well, I, it's to answer your question, it, it's not me doing all this work. Um, I'm, I sit in a windowless office and, and I ask for help. Um, so, you know, we've got a staff of five now in the small game program here in the, at the DNR. Um, I've got an assistant program leader and, and like I say, he's, he's helping with surveys, um, coordinate surveys. Um, he, he helps out a lot with the, um, the dove project. We do dove work too. Uh, he's a sort of a dove guru from Texas. So about half his time's quail. Um, some of it's grouse. Uh, he's working on a big grouse and golden wing warbler survey right now. But, um, but like I say, so he helps out with the surveys. I've got two farm bill biologists that are under my, uh, our, um, shop. And uh, they're actually NRCS, DNR position, shared positions, their co-op position. Um, Dan Peoples is down in one of our focal areas, uh, sort of in the, the Midlands. Um, and then I've got Andy Krieg over in the PD area of the state. And their, their positions are to help folks find the, the, the cost share money that's out there and available, and then show them how to implement it on their private properties. And so that's, that's one of our goals, like I say, is to get that connectivity is you've got to show people, Hey, look, you can do this. Here's how, here's where the money is to find it, you know, go out, do it. Um, and then I've got one other guy, Brett Carmichael, he's the Bob White initiative biologist. And like I say, he's all quail all the time. Oh yeah. So, and he's been that way for, he's, he's for decades. So Brett, you know, Brett, Brett helped start the, he's one of the founders of the Southeast quail study group before we had a national Bob white initiative. You know, he's been around for forever and he's just a quail guy through and through and your wildlife chief, Billy Dukes, same way, you know, yep. just yep. a hardcore quail guy. Um, you know, the funny, the one funny thing I'd like to say about Brett is he was, uh, he's worn different hats throughout his career. And, um, 
the last one before this one, he was the, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but he was like the executive assistant to the, the agency director. That's right. And then, and then I thought he was retiring and he came back as the state whale biologist. <laughs> well, he was said, coming back to what he loved. I said, I said, man, when I get reincarnated, I want to come back to be a, be a quail biologist or a habitat specialist again. But. And I do not want to put words in his mouth, but I swear up and down, he's had more fun the last couple of years oh, than he has his entire career. I'm, I'm just like being a technician all over again, I'm yeah, sure. You know, yeah. After going through the whole system. But yeah, no good for him. You know, I mean, I'm jealous. It's a, it's that's quite a circle. And on my end, it's been fantastic to work with him. I mean, just just to, yeah. he's he's just a quail guy through and through, too, you know. Yep. Which, I mean, it's great. Yep. You do see that um, it's particularly in quail biologists for state agencies. Like when when they get that job, it's like the job that they were aspiring to for their life. Right. It's a. When they land as the quail biologist, it might not be the biggest paycheck or the most prestigious, but it but was the job they pointed to when they went to college. That's it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's the truth. Um, when you talk about the, you know, trying to build this connectivity through farm bill biologists, through conservation programs, what's the public, the level of public interest in South Carolina? Is there an appetite for growing more quail? within the landowner community in South Carolina, or is that faded significantly? No, it's, it's still, it's still a viable option. Um, you know, nobody hates a quail. I, I, I cannot, I, over the years, I've never had anybody call, cuss me out about Bob White quail. Uh, it just doesn't happen. And more often than not, you get a call. And I mean, it could be a little old lady that said, Hey, I just, inherited this property. My husband passed away. I used to hear quail out here. I heard them as I was a little girl. I want to hear them again. What can I do? Um, Mm -hmm. no, I mean, it's, it's, it's constant like that. I, you know, just everybody loves hearing the quail and they may not be hunters. Like say, they just, they just want to hear them. So yeah, there's a voracious appetite for it. And, um, you know, I think any of our farm bill biologists would, would tell you that. And, and they stay busy. Um, good. You know, and I mentioned we had two farm bill biologists. We also have two others that partners with Quail Forever. Um, yeah. We've we've got one that uh, Jake McLean is up on the Indian Creek area. He's he he is a Quail Forever employee. Works out of a um, Forest Service for- office and drives a DNR truck. So yeah. it makes it <laughs> difficult for him, be, you know, having three bosses, but. But and his said, underwear is sponsored by Kmart. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but but yeah. I mean, you know, he he jumped in. He he's a relatively new hire for us, and and he jumped in with both feet and hit the ground running. And and those landowners up in that area have just kept him busy. I mean, oh, you wow. know, it's it's he's, just he's been posting some really cool videos and stuff on um, YouTube and Facebook and stuff like that during the. He's a natural. Trip. Yeah, he just he just jumps out there and. You know, puts the camera on selfie mode, you know, and he just holds, you know, holds it. We're going to have to get him a selfie stick. I think, there there you go. <laughs> he's, he's walking around on the Forest Service ground and he's like, he's showing you the logging decks and, you know, the early successional habitat on them and the quail are whistling in the background. And it's really cool. We've been reposting some of the stuff I know on our social media sites. And um, yeah, he, Jake's been great. You know, he worked for us in Ohio and he wanted something a little bigger, a little more, you know, he loves the organization. And 
we told him, you know, we, we had a spot opening up. We had vacancy out there where you guys are out there in uh, Newberry on the Sumter. And like you said, it's this, it's this hybrid position where, you know, they're working with forest service ground out of a forest service office. They're driving the DNR truck because you guys kicked in for the vehicle. I think the Newberry group bought his computer, yep, you know, yep. and we just put it all together and, it's just a really cool project. So I think there's been over 20 acre, or 20,000 acres of habitat work done on Forest Service ground and over 20,000 acres of habitat work done on private property too and and some state ground as well. So it's, yep. it's um we were able to fill a niche there where mm-hmm. we had the flexibility for one person to do everything everybody wanted. Now, I'm sure it's not always an easy job to keep that many people happy, but Jake's the man right now. He's, I agree. He's, he's, he's gunning and running and, and he's doing awesome and we're getting a lot done. And it's like you said, when, when I see that, like that's the perfect formula for doing, uh, you know, a landscape scale habitat project. And that's what makes a bunch of birds. Like that's what we need because, you know, random acts of conservation aren't getting the job done for quail right now no and indian creek's been just way oh, yeah. more successful than i would have ever imagined i mean you know the the forest service started doing the work on the the, the forest service lands and i mean it was successful and then then you get a couple key landowners around they they've they're vocal in their community and it just spread like wildflower. And then, like I said, then you throw in Jake in there going, hey, well, you can do this too and this and this. And, and like I say, the the success they've had with birds over there, it's been it's been impressive. Um, and oh, and it's, become, about- it's become a model for the rest of the state. Everybody goes, well, can we really do it? And I go, yeah, we're doing it right there at the Indian Creek area. We can do it down here too. So explain what's been impressive. Like what's the response been for quail where they were to where they are now? Yeah, well, um, so the idea behind these focal areas were, were sort of to start from zero. Um, we, you know, we could have picked some better areas that were holding better birds, and we could have had much more immediate results. But we wanted to take a place that, that really had almost nothing and, and transform it into a, a, an area that was, you know, useful for the Bob Whites. So our first years, we were counting zero quail on our, our summer whistle counts, our fall covey counts. Um, we're monitoring six other bird species as well, just non-game bird species. And, and, you know, there was very little activity on those. You know, you would have a couple pockets of habitat where you'd find a, you know, brown-headed nuthatch or a um, Bachman sparrow or what have you. But but for the most part, they, it was fairly devoid of any of the, the birds we were looking for. Um, we started reducing the burn block size, thinning timber, getting rid of some of the mid-story. Lo and behold, all these other birds started coming back that next year. You started seeing the non-game birds coming back and you picked up a bobwhite or two. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, it's, it's sort of sad, but you, you get excited over one or two birds, you know, you're thinking, yes, we've heard a whistle, you know, but then, then the following year, it's a couple more. And then the next year, it's a couple more. And then year five, it sort of just exponentially jumps huh. and you're like, whoa, where did that come from? But it's just putting the habitat on the ground. Um, but yeah, so we're, we've seen great gains in, in, in all, all the birds that we're monitoring. Yeah. So. You know, the thing, the thing I like about that project too, is there's so many partners, you know, like you were talking about Clemson earlier and school, like, I mean, Clemson university's in there, Duke energy, the Turkey Federation, you guys, the South Carolina department of natural resources, the yeah. South Carolina forestry commissions in there helping. And then uh, the Newberry County soil and water office, as well as the, uh, just like the local Newberry 
quail and dove conservation group i'm sure i got that name messed up really <laughs> bad i apologize to them but it's close i can get it in my memory bank but just all those people you know all those different groups came together because they wanted they wanted this cultural species you know to yeah hear a whistle again and bang you know a few years and a bunch of habitat work and you got it yeah and, and they we all still meet once a month every third thursday we're meeting and like i say that's that's how we get it done so so you know we talk a little bit about private land we talk a little bit about public land you know there's forest service land i'm assuming there's some state wildlife yep. management areas um what are some of the you talked a little bit about the tools burning thinning uh, what about some of the conservation programs that you're putting in place in South Carolina? You know, we think, you know, a lot, the majority of our pheasant audience automatically thinks about CRP. What's the equivalent in South Carolina? We use a little bit of CRP. Um, it's, it's not as heavily utilized as y'all use it. Um, you know, we, there, there was a CRP thinning practice for our pine trees uh, that came out. I guess it was last year, maybe the year before now. Um, but we, we've used that some. Um, we've got a couple CRP programs that we'll touch on every now and then. Our big, um, you know, our, our big emphasis is on equip. Um, we can get a lot done through equip, CSP. Um, that, that's where we're really making our bread and butter. Um, that's where we're putting most of our habitat on the ground with. So yeah. explain what EQIP means to somebody that doesn't even know the acronym. What's that look like on the landscape? It's it it can be a wide variety of of conservation practices, and in South Carolina, we use a a, a good number of them. Um, I want to say there's some 800 odd practices in the EQIP <laughs> manual, but um, and we we probably use 25 or 30 of them in South Carolina. But it, it, it's it's you know thinning pine trees it's conservation cover it's it's planting um hedgerows and habitats and and field borders and um you know pollinator habitat um like i say mastication uh of your mid-story uh chemical control your mid-story um gosh i had just it's it's a wide variety of, of any kind of habitat man yeah, we have a setback we got uh we got Tim Rainwater, our working lands for wildlife biologist on the ground there too in the Allendale area. That's which right. is a, it was just a good addition to the system there in South Carolina. So it was kind of the fourth biologist located near the fourth quail focal area because we were trying again, we were targeting that landscape scale um, impact. And I think that I think he's primarily using the EQIP program to do the majority of the practices um, he's helping people out with or educate them about enroll them in too. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like I say, you know, equip is, is our go-to. Um, I'm really excited. And Ted's sort of involved with this a little bit. Um, he's sort of on the forefront here in South Carolina, at least with, with the, um, Oh, I forgot what you call it. The, um, the smart farming with the, um, mm. Precision oh, agriculture. Precision ag. Thank you. Thank you. If, <laughs> I like smart farming better. <laughs> I'm stealing that. <laughs> but yeah, I, you know, he, he's been working yeah. with some precision ag stuff and it is really just fascinating. Oh, um, yeah. Like I say, it, it just blows my mind, the technology in those tractors these days. But, hmm. um, but I mean, they're putting it together with, with the equip practices and I, it's some pretty cool results. So it's, it's neat. So when it, we think about, um, the life cycle of a quail, 
in a year in South Carolina, you know, nesting, brood rearing, you know, food. Yep. Winter, maybe. Tell us a little sure. bit about uh, what the <laughs> habitat needs are in South Carolina and where the weak spots exist today. Well, a quail, no matter what, needs three things. They need the, the brood habitat, the nesting habitat, and the escape cover. Um, sometimes some folks will throw in bare ground as, a, as an extra um, habitat requirement. But, um, but yes, yeah, so in South Carolina, that, that brood habitat looks like any kind of weedy area. Um, fallow fields, uh, ragweed on the side of the roads. Um, beggar lice, partridge pea—that's that's your your brood habitat. Um, prescribed fires, you know, come through a week or two earlier. You start getting that green up. You're getting the six, seven inch tall grasses and 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 weeds sprouting up. That's that brood habitat you're mm-hmm. looking for. Um, nesting habitat is is just what it sounds like. They they use that part of the year when they're they're nesting. They're looking for those those grasses to build build nests in. Um, they're using last year's dead grass. They're building the nest. They use it for a short time. Um, and then escape cover, it can be a wide variety of things. In South Carolina, a lot of times it's blackberry brambles. Um, those are pretty pretty key here in South Carolina. Um, Chickasaw plum patches, um, you know, as much as I hate it, it small sweet gum patches. Uh, you know, I, I, <laughs> I, I have a hatred of, of sweet gums, but but they do, I mean, they can Such provide a, a little bit of habitat. And, so and I don't, I don't you're going to have to explain sweet gum for, to a youper. Um, oh, they're, they're the bane of anybody's land manager in South Carolina. That, I mean, if, if, if you close your eyes for about three seconds, you'll have six sweet gums pop up in front of you by the time <laughs> you open them. I mean, they're just, they're just everywhere. They're a quick growing tree. I mean, hmm. they're, I mean, they're native, but like I say, they're just, they're just irritating. They're, they're one of the early colonizers and, and that's, that's what they do and they do it well. So, um, we spend most of our time trying to get rid of that, that mid story that they create. So it, it, it's, it just, it hurts my heart a little bit to give sweet gum a credit, you know, that, that it can be a little bit of habitat and, 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 you know, at the end of the year, when you're, looking at your quail most of the time you'll find some sweet gum seeds in the crop you know they put out a tremendous amount of seed but like i say it's still it's still a sweet gum <laughs> so this picture of talk a little bit more about net, um escape cover you mentioned escape cover what's escape cover for a south carolina bobwhite yeah, so it, like I said, it's 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 it, it could be those sweet gums. Um, it it can be small pines, you know, clumped together, 30, 40 yard circle of, of small pines. Um, you you'll find those in the especially in the the flatwoods. Um, you know, blackberry brambles. It, you know, if if you can get it big enough, 30, 40 yards is what you're sort of looking for. That's that's good escape cover. Um, it's open underneath. The birds can get under it got a you know a canopy above it they mm-hmm. you know you, they're not going to get predated by hawks trying to to pin them down through through any of those those species um it can be you know it can be tops of old dead trees um, yeah. piled up you know it can be most anything um, edge feathering would be a 
escape cover habitat creation tool, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Like I say, as long as it protects from above and is open underneath, it can, it can work. I joked about winter cover. Is there (laughs) any need for thermal cover in South Carolina? The need is probably not as high as maybe what would be needed in your neck of the woods, Sure, but we still do. Yeah. Um, and occasionally we'll get some snow in the Piedmont or in the upstate. Um, they, they need it, you know, they, they need it. Um, they need that thermal cover cover in the summertime as well. Um, you know, on some of our hundred, 103 degree days, they're, they're out there in a lot of those same areas under those blackberry brambles, under those Chickasaw plums, and they're, they're cooling it. Um, mm. So that thermal cover goes both ways. Mm. So we talk about the, you know, what the perfect recipe is for habitat in South Carolina from nesting cover to brood, some open, some, you know, open space, um, escape cover. And, and you talk about partnerships, public land, private land, farm bill biologists. That leads to the South Carolina Bob White Initiative, right? Correct. Yeah. And so tell us what that is. So the South Carolina Bob White Initiative is just basically South Carolina's version of the step down plan that was sort of laid out by the National Bob White Conservation Initiative. Um, all 25 states in the Bob White range are. are are members of the, the national uh, organization. And, and like I say, we all have the same goal of putting more Bob White habitat on the ground. Um, you know, that's, that's what every state's trying to do. We may go about it in a little bit different manner. Um, South Carolina's response was to create the South Carolina Quail Council. And it's about 30 different, 35 different um, groups, organizations, uh, anybody that's got anything to do with land management, agriculture, forestry, um, you know, the research institutions here, we got some private key landowners, um, you know, anybody that has anything to do with, with quail would fit in on the quail council. Um, so like I say, we got all those groups together and said, look, we're trying to do something for quail. Are y'all interested? And they, all of them said, yes, Hmm. we signed a big MOU. Um, we created a couple other um, um, committees. We, we created the prescribed fire committee, the outreach committee, the, um, the science committee. And like I say, you know, that, that's sort of the, the bones of the Bob White initiative. Gotcha. Um, yeah. And that was started back in December of 2014. So it's, mm. it's still fairly young. Um, but So do you, as the DNR quail biologist, are you like the, grand poobah of the the initiative or do, do other people take that role no other people take that role um <laughs> so the the leader of the quail council is actually um our director dr uh, robert boyles um he's our director he's re- relatively new um and he's been here maybe i guess he was confirmed in january so we, we've let him know that he's the leader, but he hasn't officially presided over a meeting yet. Um, so you're the de facto leader then. That's right. Oh, no, no, no. We still have another, we still have another layer here. Um, I, I've got Breck to, to be able to, 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 to shield me a little bit. Um, he is the, on the steering committee and uh, he's the leader of the science committee and all. I just serve on the science committee. So, okay. 
Yeah, no, no. But now once Breck fully retires, I guess I'll have to, to step up. But <laughs> but yeah, it, until then, I'm, I'm just I'm just chilling on the, the science committee. A, a quail forever is part of the South Carolina Abs- Bob. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. No, they 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 jumped on with 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 both feet when when we first started this back in 2014. There was. Yeah, no question. So we have quail forever <clears throat> has three chapters in 460 members in the state of South Carolina, there's a lot of opportunity for growth. Right? Yes. What, um, what, what do you think um, would create momentum around more people in South Carolina getting involved in conservation? What, what's the suggestion from the DNR's perspective? Oh gosh. I don't know that I have a suggestion. Um, I think if you could play up what some of your chapters have done, I mean, that, that Mount Pleasant chapter, um, the low country chapter of quail forever, um, they've, they've just been fantastic. You know, they've got an MOU with, with the forest service and, and I can think of a couple States that would like to have an MOU yeah. with the forest mm. service. And here we have a chapter, uh, you know, quail forever that's got one. And I mean, they've yeah. been doing some fantastic work on, on the Francis Mary national forest down there for decades. Mm. Um, and, and they're continuing in that today. And like I say, you know, the other chapters in the state, you know, I think you can show, sort of like we did with the Indian Creek say, Hey, look, you guys can do this too. And, and just build off of that. I mean, like I say, cause I, there is, there's, there's sort of a hunger for, for any type of, of anything quail in South Carolina. Mm. And, and I, in the last couple of years, you've really seen it building. Um, like I say, it's, it's been a lot of fun to watch and I just happened to catch it at the right time. But, um, there, there seems to be more interest in quail. There's a younger group getting interested in quail mm. and, and, and they're looking for that outlet and looking to, to figure out how they can help. And like I say, I think striking while the iron is hot there is, is the key can, to it. Can you profile that younger group in, interested in quail? Are they, you know, are they getting into it because of the habitat, the food, the dogs? Are they men? Are they women? What What's a younger person in South Carolina that's getting jacked up about Bob White's? That younger group is is much more diverse. Um, in South Carolina, I've, I've, I've sort of come to the realization we've got two separate groups of, of quail hunters in South Carolina. We've got the, the older traditional group that's 60 and above. You know, they remember the good old days. They, you know, lament about the loss of quail a lot. They've got completely different expectations from a quail hunt than this other group. Um, this other group is 30 and below. Um, I sort of fall in this no man's land. There's there's a skip generation in there that just, I mean, and there's a couple of us, but there's, there's not many. <laughs> mm-hmm. But that younger group, there's a wide variety of folks. Um, you know, you, you, you'll more, I mean, you're, you're as likely to see a woman hunting as a young man. Um, mm-hmm. and as to their, their influence or why they got into it, it's, it's usually either they got a dog and they found out it was supposed to be a hunting dog and they wanted to see what it was supposed to do. And, and then mm-hmm. they just, they just went with it. Um, they're all or, Boykins, right? <laughs> no, sadly <laughs> enough, no. I've, I've yet to see a swamp poodle out there, other than mine. So, um, 
but, funny. But no, most of them are short hairs. I really, I you <laughs> see a ton oh, of you're shit. Just, you're just just not the uh, uh, well. I, it's the truth. It's, <laughs> it's, it's they're everywhere. Um, we so, have, you know, we've been seeing, um, you know, just starting new chapters around the country and and talking with folks. We've been seeing a surge of younger people, kind of, you know, I call them adventure seekers. You know, they're looking for that DIY adventure. Yep. They want to travel somewhere new. They want to chase something different. They want to, they want to sample the local food and restaurants and go yep. hunt public land and, you know, kind of the on Xers of the world, you know? And yeah. It's, it's cool. I mean, I, you know, we did a, we did a public land issue a while back and, and we got rave reviews from, from millennials, you know, that were just like, man, this is awesome. Do more of this because they're just looking for, they want to throw the jar of peanut butter and have a little bread <laughs> the cooler like like we used to do in college and go to a national forest or wildlife management area, whatever's available, and go try to kick up a bird, you know. And um, I like it. it. Gives me a lot of hope, you know. It like does. Seeing. It does. And, and a lot of them have never hunted before. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's like I say, yeah. occasionally I'll run across one of the younger folks who'll say, yeah, my granddad used to hunt. I remember him talking about it, and I wanted to try it. But more often yeah. than it's not, I got this dog or – I'm looking to source food locally mm-hmm. and I'm like, you know, whatever gets you into the game, let's go. So and we, uh, you talk ahead. about, uh, you know, the, the public land, the private land, you know, that's one of the beautiful components about quail forever and pheasants forever is, you know, we've been known for decades for our work on the farm bill and CRP and farm bill biologists, but we also create hundreds of thousands of acres of public land Absolutely. through land acquisitions, through working on farm bill programs that add, you know, the, the open fields legislation that opens up walk-in areas on top of private land. And then the what we've talked a little bit about here that is probably even, you know, that, that we need to elevate the message more about is the work that we do on public lands you mentioned the francis marion to improve the land that already exists in the public hands as better habitat absolutely all sorts of wildlife and that's one of the key components going on in south carolina yeah that that low country group has got something going on right now that's just just outstanding um you know, like I said, they had that MOU with the Forest Service and they've been planting food plots and doing some winter disking for them and, you know, managed some fallow fields. Uh, probably two years ago now, they really decided to ramp it up. They wanted to do more. Um, they said, we think we can help out in a bigger way. And they went to the Forest Service. They came to us. They came to a couple other folks and said, look, this is sort of what we'd like to do. Do you think it's possible? We said, sure, well, let's have a meeting. So we had a meeting. Um got together with the forest service they laid out their plans and and lo and behold the forest service has laid out about five or six thousand acres it's it's a little over five thousand acres Mm, of an area that they hope to it's a wildlife habitat um project it's not solely focused on quail but the net result is going to be much more quail habitat on the ground um yeah you know it's it's just beginning. We're really just now getting some trees on the ground. They were able to get the forest service. Typically the forest service has only got so many burn days. They have a ton of acres to burn. So they have to burn large blocks. Well, that quail forever group got them to 
knock down the burn size. You know, they're looking, it's not as small as we would like. You know, we would like 50, 60, 80 acres. We're down to the 100 to 200 acre range. But still, that's that's a heck of a lot better than the 1,000 or 800 mm-hmm. acres that it was before because one of the key components to that prescribed fire regime is creating a checkerboard pattern of habitat across the, the landscape. So, like I said, we're not where we want to be, but it's a heck of a lot better than what they started with. And, and now those members of that group can look back and go, look, we've created quail habitat mm-hmm. and now they've got a place that wasn't there before. Mm-hmm. So it's, and that, you know, that's the beauty of the forest service that I see is that they do have these large, incredible expanses of land and they provide that opportunity for landscape steel habitat. That's going to bring back the Bob white, you know, just, just through good land management, you know, just managing what's already there. And, um, you know, last year we signed a, a, a national challenge cost share agreement with the Forest Service for the whole country. And I think we wrote a challenge cost share grant for Jake's position originally through that Joint Chiefs project. That's right. got there. And then um, I wrote a master stewardship agreement for regions eight and nine, which was which encompassed the whole Bob White range in the country. And um, we're we got a lot of conversations going in a lot of places. And, and you know, the Indian Creek area on the Sumter is kind of our measuring stick. You know, that's what we want to duplicate. <laughs> If I, you know, when you say next steps or what can we do better in mm. South Carolina, I'd love to do, I'd love to do, you know, I'd love to take, take the model from Indian Creek and the Sumter National Forest to the Francis Marion. The chapter is doing phenomenal stuff. I, I mean, we're way ahead with that already, but I'd love to, I'd love to keep blowing it up. No, I agree. I mean, and then you've got the Long Cane District over in Edgefield and McCormick mm-hmm. and the, yeah. the Andrew Pickens in the upstate. I mean, we can keep this thing rolling. Yeah, hmm. we're, we got a, we got a new position coming on board pretty soon with the Mark Twain National Forest in Missouri. We're um we've started conversations with the Shawnee National Forest in Illinois, the Hoosier in Indiana. We're trying to get something going down the Daniel Boone in Kentucky. Like it's it. just it's millions of acres that that are already public, and if we can work with them to help them manage them and you know hit our goals together, it's great. Because I just I see the quail as an indicator species, and if we can get quail back on the landscape it'll be it'll be great for so much other stuff oh yeah and i think you can you can appease a lot of different groups by creating quail habitat because everything else will be good too no absolutely i mean you know I, that the francis marion gets a lot of eyes on it um just Man. in close proximity to charleston there's a lot of folks going well why are you doing this for quail and then when we start explaining well it's the you know flatwood salamander it's the the sure. gopher frog it's it's a bunch of different you know, endangered grasses and plants and they go, Oh, well, it's not just the Bob whites. And you're like, no, <laughs> it, it's so much more, you know, with <clears throat> under the current circumstances with the pandemic, you know, in a lot of States, the public lands are being used and cherished at a level they've never been cherished at before. Is, have you witnessed that in South Carolina where, you know, the Francis Marion and, and some of these, um, lands where, you know, maybe we're focusing on habitat, but people are, you know, out there and putting their eyes on it, their feet on it and, and kind of understanding the needs a little bit better. Yeah, I, I, I believe so. Um, you know, we're in the, well, we're in the tail end of our turkey season down here. And so you've seen a tremendous amount of turkey hunters, more than you typically see on a given year. Um, but what's been interesting is you're seeing a wide variety of other users as well. And, and 
and so you get some extra inter interactions that you wouldn't normally get and and you know it's it's funny you you run across somebody in a parking lot or whatever the the conversations that come up and you know because they're not expecting to see a hunter out in the woods this time of year and then they go oh wait there's a there's turkey season okay that makes sense but then you know i've got stickers on the back of the truck and bob whites and all you know quail forever sticker and all that good stuff and so that we you just it just you start talking and and then then they a lot of times i find out you know i'll 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 let them in on who i am and what i do and and so i'm a public land hunter too so i'm hunting the same places that i'm working and so i i have a little bit of a passion about these areas and and i'll start talking about them and and they'll make some connections that i don't know that they would have made beforehand you know and i don't know that they would have really been out there (laughs) provided they were stuck in their house for the last what month and a half so silver yeah. lining on something that's been pretty, pretty tough on a lot of people. But uh, if it has got one thing that has been positive is it has gotten people out um, back to nature. And I, would agree. I think there's a stronger appreciation for organizations like yours and, and like ours and what we do. Um, before I, before I hand you the magic wand, uh, Tim, was there anything uh, that that you wanted to to bring up that I that I've missed so far as we talk about what Quail Forever's got going on South Carolina and the Southeast in particular? No, you know we, you know South Carolina is just, it's a great quail state. You know, I mean between Michael and Brick and Billy Deuce and the biologists he mentioned and our biologists are on the ground. It's just um, it's really great to come into a state that's got that much quail culture and is that. I don't know, just that decade and excited about bringing back the Bob White, you know, and on public land and working with the Forest Service there and all the different groups. It was just, it's just a really nice recipe of a whole bunch of folks that care. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a joy to work with you, man. And uh, we're not going to stop. We're hoping to expand <laughs> and keep going. And, and keep going. We did have a, um, you know, you, Bob, you were talking about um, CWE, Southeast Wildlife Expo, we were at last year. Um, Kenny Barker, our rep that we had on that uh, podcast after we, while we were there. You know, um, he did after we were there last year, he did put a put our own, you know, put our own event together there at the expo this year. He had an oyster roast and it sold out, you know, yep. and he had room for and he had room for 350. And if I know Kenny, he probably violated the fire. <laughs> probably at 375. I don't know, but it he, was um, packed. He said it was, it was packed. packed. He had it there at the, the cotton dock. Me and Bob didn't get to come because uh, we were actually at the Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic uh, in Minneapolis at the same time. But um this year coming up, um, they don't overlap. Very uh, nice. We're gonna, Very nice. We're gonna come elbow our elbow our way up to that oyster shucking table, and we're gonna join <laughs> in. I like it. Yeah, I like you it. guys do have some awesome food in your part of oh, the world. Man, if if you can eat shrimp and cheese grits for breakfast, I'm in. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, we're just you know we're just excited, and things are going well. I know we raised a good chunk of money at that event. We're gonna put in the ground, and and you know. And whatever, whatever you guys need there in South Carolina, we're just, we're excited to keep working with you and we're looking to do more, man. Well, I've enjoyed it. I have, like I say, it's been a lot of fun. So So. for folks that, um, um, maybe we'll ask that they go back and listen to that, um, episode about the Southeast, um, (laughs) quail, you know, stuff that we, we were working on and, you know, you'll, 
be introduced to Kenny Barker, who's a fun personality in and of itself. I taught him everything he knows. <laughs> we we did mention, you know, we we have three chapters and 460 members in the state of South Carolina. Uh, so there's a ton of opportunity to start new chapters in the state of South Carolina. If you are listening and you're interested, um, Kenny, uh, his email, he's the regional rep for the state, Kenny Barker. So it's K Barker, B-A-R-K-E-R at quailforever.org. Uh, we would love to be able to report back on the next podcast and let folks know that uh, a chapter, half a dozen chapters got started as a result of hearing this story in South Carolina. We need members. We need chapters in the state of South Carolina because they got a rock star biologist. That, uh, <laughs> we want, we want to work with more. There's a lot of opportunity in, in, in the state of the Boykin Spaniel. So without further ado, Michael, I'm going to hand you the magic wand. And uh, as the ruler of Bob White Quail in South Carolina, what would you do? What's your first order of business to get the stars to align for, for the Bob White Quail in your state? <laughs> if I could do anything. You, you got the wand, it. man. You can do anything you want. I might would get rid of bush hogs in South Carolina. That would, that would go a <laughs> long way in helping out a quail in South Carolina. We, we, we do a lot of recreational mowing in South Carolina at a time. We just don't need to be doing it. But, but, but well, yeah. Explain that. Explain it because there's probably a lot of folks that don't know what a – what you're talking about or what recreational mowing is. <laughs> so, and, and let me preface this by my dad does this. He, <laughs> he just can't stand to leave a field just grown up. So he's got to mow it. So it looks better. And, and then he'll turn around and go, we used to have birds. Well, I wonder why they're not here. And I'm like, daddy, you're, you're mowing the house down. But so, <laughs> so, so, recreational mowing is just that, you know, you look at a overgrown field, the edges of the woods or what have you, your roads into the wherever, you know, they get brushy, weedy. A lot of people just can't stand that. They just got to have it mowed. Mm. Um, back in the day, folks would manage that at least in the Southeast with fire, you know, into the winter, they'd burn everything. That would be it. Um, they were creating quail habitat by accident. Um, Along comes the bush hog. It's a lot easier. And I really think it just gives somebody something to do. Um, they see it. They want to ride the tractor. They feel like they've done something. But what they've done <laughs> wiped out the, the nesting habitat, the brood habitat for that year, you know, possibly damaged some nests. So, hmm. so yeah, if, if I could get rid of the bush hog, make everybody go back to fire and, and disking, we'd, we'd be a lot better off. Okay. That's a great answer. In Minnesota, they always refer to that as the kind of the Lutheran mentality to tidy up their yards and mow <laughs> everything, right? The same thing. I mean, it, it's also, it relates back to, you know, just mowing roadside dishes, ditches, yeah. right? There's yeah. so many ground nesting birds, whether you're talking about quail, you know, mallards, pheasants, huns, the 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 roadsides, the edges are really critical. So just oh, let them grow. If you can wait till August 1st, boy, a yep. lot more wildlife, right? 
Yep. I mean, what's beautiful to a Bob White is certainly not beautiful to us. So it just takes a little bit of, uh, of adjusting your frame of reference and go, that is pretty, you know, yeah. I'm yeah. okay with those weeds. <laughs> Tim, any closing thoughts before we, uh, we wrap up? No, like I said, I just, uh, you're a great, great partner to have with the DNR and Michael there. And I just, we appreciate working with you, man. And we, again, I can't wait to do more. Well, see I, what's next. I enjoy it too. I look forward to seeing y'all in Charleston next year. Yeah. We'll, we'll be there. <laughs> All right, folks. Uh, Michael, thank you very much for uh, giving so much time. And uh, I'll reiterate what Tim said. It, we got a great partner, but we got a great, uh, great friend in you. Um, so thanks for what you're doing for Bob Boy Quail. We're going to take, you ice, take you ice fishing. Tuesday. <laughs> I like it. I want to give it a shot. <laughs> That's the first time ed- anybody's ever uh, negotiated ice fishing. <laughs> what the hell? We'll do it. <laughs> All right, folks. Uh, thank you very much for listening to this episode of On the Wing Podcast. Um, please consider joining uh, Quail Forever or Pheasants Forever. Uh, get involved. Uh, wildlife habitat needs your help and we invite you to become a member i am bob st pierre leaving you with one final thought even if it's a boy can spaniel always follow the dog something good will rise thank you folks